You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining us, as always, from MMA Junkie and USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Uh, ben, we're pretty much going to do all Johnny Bones all the time on this week's CME podcast. It's almost hashtag the only shit going on. Well, it's, it seems like you and I could have a daily podcast that just updated our listeners on the comings and goings of, of John Jones at this point. Would we then have to start a newsletter that's also supplemental information about Conor McGregor and maybe Ronda Rousey? I think people would get mad. If judging by the email that we tried sending out this past week just to announce that the podcast was out, which by the way, uh, listeners had written in to say, Hey, you guys should send out a, a newsletter when the, the new CME comes out. And then I sent one out. I was like, All right, I'll give it a try. I sent one out last week and motherfuckers were acting like that was the last straw. <laughs> like that. That was a bridge too far for some of the people out there. And they're not going to like it when we sell their email addresses to the Russian boner pill people. If you, if or maybe they will like that. Maybe that'll be different. If you're out there canceling your, your Breakfast of Champions subscription because you get an email saying that the podcast that you apparently liked so much that you signed up for the newsletter uh, has been published, I don't know how you're making it through life, man. Like, how do you deal with the cable guy coming to your house? I will say if... If that's the thing that gets you to unsubscribe, you don't deserve us. If you can't handle us at our worst, you don't deserve us at our most mediocre. Anyway, we probably won't be sending out those emails anymore saying that the, probably pod- for the, best. That the yeah. podcast is out. That that didn't work. Hey, you know, you, you got to try new things, though, Chad. You'd think, you'd think, wouldn't you? You'd think you could. Not everybody going ape shit. You gotta try new things, if only to give people an appreciation of the old things. Hey Ben, where is the uh, ping pong table? I guess we should set the scene for the listeners. Uh, we're at your house this week, and there used to be a picnic ta- or a ping pong table. That's right, right here, which has been replaced by a play tent and a Peppa Pig backpack and a pile of play bricks. Yeah. Well, see what had happened was the ping pong table was a remnant of our old life. When we did mm. not have children right. and we would come down here in the evenings uh, and play high stakes ping pong with alcoholic beverages. And now we decided to fold up the ping pong table. It's in there in the laundry room. It creates this kind of open space for children to run around and freak out in and really cuts down on the instances of just head on corner collisions. Not a ton of games of strip ping pong going on. Not over so much. Not at so much Castle anymore. Folks these days, even fewer of darts. Uh, that one's just not safe. I'm sorry to hear that, man. Sorry to things to hear that things have taken that turn. It's okay. You know, uh, we get a lot of good uh, running around and freaking out going on down here, uh, and sometimes some impromptu ballet. So that's that's our lives now. That's if- what happens. If the listeners at home hear the voices in the background, that's your wife and your eldest daughter singing songs. Upstairs. Pretty much, and just yeah. Old McDonald was was the ditty that they were running through just as we 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 hit record here. They'll probably so. hit a few more before we're done. Once again, this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast is brought to you by Fulton and Rourke. New product alert: Fulton and Rourke just launched their new aftershave towelettes. They're the perfect way to finish off your shaving routine. If you've used Fulton and Rourke shaving cream before, and you know that we have talked about it at length on this podcast and about how awesome it is, uh, you know that it's so moisturizing that following up with a heavy aftershave balm might be overkill. The new aftershave cloths are formulated with a cleansing and soothing combination of witch hazel, eucalyptus, and tea tree, so they leave your skin feeling clean and balanced. That's right, and each towelette is individually packaged, so whether you're getting ready at home, at the gym, 
in some exotic and faraway locale, such as an airport bathroom or the back room of a TGI Fridays, they're always quick and convenient. And because they tone your skin and leaving feeling refreshed, they're perfect anytime you need a little pick-me-up. Man, if you are shaving in an airport bathroom, I'm going to go ahead and hazard a guess that you are running away from something. <laughs> Maybe running away from everything. Right now, CME listeners can save $15 on any order of $75 or more with the coupon code CME2016. That's all one word. Go to FultonandRourke.com and enter that code at checkout. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. We just told you what they're all going to be about. In round number one, reports say that John Jones now has a full-time driver. Because sometimes all it takes to learn your lesson is like 800 traffic tickets, a hit-and-run accident, a suspension, the loss of your title, and then a couple of nights in the slammer. And in round number two, so you're telling me that Daniel Cormier hurt his foot, pulled out of UFC 197, uh prompted the company to put an interim title on the line and a lot of people said that his title was illegitimate anyway and somehow this isn't an april fool's day joke and in round number three john jones versus Owen saint prue what the fuck <laughs> all that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff but right now like we always do about this time let's do a little bit of listener mail listener mail the first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Dave of Darley Abbey. What? So is, is that like an old house up on a hill somewhere? I believe a royal has written <laughs> okay. in. Okay. member about of the, damn time. A member of the aristocracy. The yeah. co-main event podcast has finally penetrated the aristocracy. Which aristocracy? The old English one, okay. I assume. All right. He, a Dave of Darley Abbey writes, like many, see, you can tell already, like many, this is a cultured motherfucker. <laughs> like many, I was somewhat underwhelmed by the prospect of McGregor Diaz too. However, after Diaz's recent media tour, I'm starting to get into it. Diaz's pitching of this fight as a stone cold Steve Austin style one man versus the company trying to keep him down was the perfect way to put a new spin on this fight. Intentional or not, was this A, a sweet move, or B, a really sweet move by Diaz? I'm going to go with B, a really sweet it's move. It's a really sweet move by Diaz. Did you catch, I'm sure you have at this point, at least the highlights of Nate Diaz's appearance on You're Welcome, the Chael Sonnen podcast. No, I did not. You did. You haven't heard this? No. Where he goes on somewhat at length about how he believes that he, him beating Conor McGregor spoiled the UFC's plans to oh, okay. put Conor McGregor opposite George St. Pierre okay, I read in a, in this a big on some super, website. super yeah. fight. And at the end of the, of, of the paragraph, the Nate Diaz paragraph, where he's talking about how he spoiled their plans, he pauses and then he says, LOL, motherfuckers. <laughs> He actually says LOL. He actually says that, which if that's not on a t-shirt at this point, I don't know what we're doing. But I'm glad, It's a missed opportunity. I'm glad that Duke Dave of, of Darley Abbey uh, brings up the Stone Cold Steve Austin reference. Because this has often occurred to me, that how often fans really love it whenever it seems like there's a one-man standing as a lone rebel against the the powerful corporate forces right. of the UFC. People really get into that. And the Stone Cold Steve Austin model in the pro wrestling world is one that I've often thought, man, I don't know if the UFC doesn't want to embrace that just because they really love to stamp out dissent wherever they see it or if they know that, hey, we can't openly embrace it because it ruins the gimmick if we're seen to like the guy who is seen to be fighting against us. Um, but I think that that really works for a lot of people. They, they identify with it. Um, it fulfills some kind of need in their fantasy world of themselves as like standing up against the corporate bosses and having great success doing so. Uh, it fulfills already a lot of fighter psyches, uh, where we've talked about before. They love to think of it as nobody wants me to succeed. Powerful forces are aligned against me. Even the fighters who that is clearly the opposite of being the case still like to tell themselves that. So, I think that that's a, a very powerful narrative uh, for him to work, and it feels fitting in Nate Diaz's case. Yeah, we talked a little bit last week about how uh, probably unbeknownst to the UFC, or coincidentally, I guess you would say, uh, after years and years of the Diaz brothers basically advocating uh, to book the biggest fights all the time, regardless of like linear storylines or, or belts and titles or what's going on in the division. And now it seems like the UFC is, has kind of started to trend that way, almost like a meeting of the minds. 
if you will, between the UFC brass and, and the Diaz brothers. And I guess the, I see this as just kind of like kind of an, an addendum to that, just because I think that it's so awesome, just in case you needed evidence that Nate Diaz is not actually working some kind of a professional wrestling style gimmick like Stone Cold Steve Austin, but is in fact just being himself. If you needed any evidence of that, now you have a situation where Nate Diaz is finally getting all of the things he has ever wanted and asked for from the UFC, the biggest fights, the biggest money, the biggest stardom. He's going to probably main event the biggest pay-per-view in the company's history. He's part of the one of the biggest pairings in the company's history, and he still just does not give a fuck. He is still just disgruntled and feels like they are trying to keep him down and is railing against the authority at all times. And that's totally sweet. LOL, motherfuckers. LOL, motherfuckers. But he still, though, he can make that case because the fact that you're even doing this rematch, it's already suggests to people you're not doing the rematch because you were so excited with how the first fight turned out. No. In fact, there's almost no way to justify the rematch other than the wrong guy won. Right. right? And yeah. that's the kind of thing, though. I guess if you're the UFC and you're talking about you can't just totally come out and embrace stuff like you can't really embrace that one right you can't just uh bald facedly say the wrong guy won although it would be kind of awesome if they did if they were just like you know what uh we really wanted the uh, conor mcgregor to win this so we are going to go ahead and run this one back and hope for the best this time maybe put a stipulation in there that nate diaz uh has to fight with hand tied behind his back or nick diaz will be in a cage in, his, in like a, a tiny cage suspended above a, a pool of alligators. Or, you know, maybe Dana White can take the Vince McMahon route and be like, listen here, you Nate Diaz, you better rein it in. You better stop going on all these shows and talking poorly about the UFC. And then Nate Diaz can go do his kind of Stockton motherfuckers. What version of Stone Cold Steve Austin? And after he wins, people, instead of like throwing beers into the ring for him to drink, people will be throwing joints and he can just be like lighting them up with both hands. Hmm. I like it. Just think about it. That's um, all I'm saying. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run it. Might need some work. We'll workshop it a little bit. We uh, might, if we're gonna do that, we might need to move this fight to Macau, just just for Macau. regulatory reasons. Uh, next question this week comes from Vern Russell. He writes, "Fellas, what the fuck? Do you think we could get some discourse on why the UFC feels the need to break out the interim belts from the storage room under the stairs? I mean, interim belts have a purpose, but using them just to make a fight seem relevant or just for the sake of." He says PVP here, which he may be from another country where pay-per-view is called something else. That's a generous interpretation. Or he just might have messed it up. Yeah, I think he means PPV buys, isn't it? Uh, so we had two things happen this week, one of which uh, we will, I think, talk about at greater length later in the show that uh, John Jones is going to fight Ovin St. Prue for an interim light heavyweight title. Uh for the title that John Jones never lost. It's the interim title for the title that he never... Anyway, you get, you're pretty far down the chain yes. by the time you get to this interim title. But the other thing that happened was the UFC confirmed that because Conor McGregor is going to rematch Nate Diaz because the wrong guy won, uh, we're also going to do an interim featherweight title fight between Frankie Edgar and Jose Aldo at UFC 200, which was what I said they should do all along. And it's nice to see them. Oh, here we go. Taking my advice, clearly listening to this show. Joe I don't Silva, know if the Joe listeners can Sean be Shelby. patting yourself on the back props, over there. Props to you guys listening with your headphones on over there at uh, UFC headquarters. Uh, but yeah, so two interim title matches made in the last week. And Vern Russell says, fellas, what the fuck? Yeah, I was actually, I was just on uh, Luke Thomas's serious show just talking about the interim titles and wondering, is there a point where you you cross a line with all the interim titles and it's just too much? Because one of the points I was making was, if you start just throwing out interim titles all the time and everybody has a belt, then pretty soon having a belt doesn't seem so special anymore. Uh, but I also wonder, and I think it's a fair question that we have to pause and ask ourselves every once in a while, how many people really give a damn? about this interim title stuff. Like, what is the purpose? Is it just so you can put a, a title on the poster? Just so you don't have to change the part of uh, your uh, info pitch on the, the pay-per-view provider that says there's a light heavyweight title at stake? Like, what's the real purpose? Because otherwise, especially in the John Jones situation, you don't really need a, a title as the visual reminder that John Jones is the greatest light heavyweight in the sport, at least not if you follow this sport. 
it would be pretty confusing if you only followed the sport like at arm's length, but you followed it enough to know that John Jones was the best light heavyweight. But but you would probably have at least some recognition of the fact that he was that he had lost his title somehow, and then there was this other guy, Daniel Cormier, who had become the champion. And then you flip on the television one day, and now you see John Jones fighting for something called an interim title against someone completely different, who I'm sure you've heard of. Uh, because of his status as a legend of the Tennessee Volunteers football yeah. program. Yeah, you follow Tennessee enough. You know Peyton Manning, Reggie White, Ovin St. Prue. St. Prue, the three big dogs the, the, in, the, in the Tennessee football program. Uh, would you go so as far as to say the titles are fairy tales, though? <laughs> you know, I, I think with this one, the reason you're, you're breaking out so many interim titles is because you think that they matter, right? At least for promotional purposes. Yeah, I think especially in the, in the case of UFC 197, which, uh, as I've said, we'll talk about more in the show, but it's like, I feel like the John Jones Oven St. Prue matchup is kind of so out of the blue. And if you're going to put it, if you're going to have it be the main event, based so you don't have to main event your pay per view with, with Demetrius Johnson against, uh, Henry Cejudo, then like, maybe it makes sense to just toss an interim title on top of it for no reason. Like, you've already loaded everything else you possibly can into the car. And you're like, you know what? I'm just going to throw the title in there too. Why not? You know? Yeah, I mean, I think bringing up Demetrius Johnson and Henry Cejudo is a good point for, you know, why do we feel the need to have these titles? Does it make stuff seem relevant? Like, you take the flyweight division, for example, and you tell me, all right, two of the top flyweights are fighting this weekend. And for a lot of people, that fails to move them. That, that, that fails to really convince them to get out the credit card in order that one. But if you tell me they're fighting for the championship belt, Maybe that, that nudges you a little bit extra of the way. And I can understand how that works for some people. They, they're fighting for the physical representation of who is the absolute best in the sport. But when you take on the interim title, just by having the word interim in there, you're kind of admitting that that's no longer the case. Um, so I don't know who is really convinced to do anything differently for, as a consumer when they hear the word interim. Yeah, I, I mean. It seems just for visual marketing purposes at this sure, point. Sure, sure, yeah. And then I guess we should say like the uh the featherweight interim title is is uh also a little bit uh suspect, I guess you would say just because uh Conor McGregor hasn't really held up the division for that long. He is going to take this uh this fight with Nate Diaz again at welterweight, uh which is another whole ball of weirdness that I don't even think we're going to talk about this week, but uh but I, like I said last week, I feel like making this interim title fight between Frankie Edgar and Jose Aldo, which is both a weird interim title, interim title fight and a rematch, so kind of a double whammy. Uh, it makes sense just because it does keep the featherweight division moving forward, and it gives Conor McGregor a a built-in next step, as Dana White said on SportsCenter: win, lose, or draw. So uh, for those that draw really fuck some things up. That man. draw would and and uh also interesting to sit for them to say that he will defend his featherweight title, win, lose, or draw, as if to say if he splits these two bouts with Nate Diaz, they won't they won't do a third one. Call They're it good. Just gonna go ahead just and just call it good and move and on. And the right guy won. Right? Yeah. Next question this week comes from Spencer W. He writes, This week in Croatia, the UFC has a card taking place that includes four heavyweight fights on the main card and another on the prelims. Considering there is only 39 heavyweight fighters on the UFC roster, it's noteworthy that a quarter of the UFC's heavyweights are in action this weekend. Do you think this is a coincidence or is there some sort of strategy involved in this? Uh, I don't think it could be a coincidence. That would be... An awful big coincidence. And they did this once before, right? Where they stacked, they did a, a, a fight card of all heavyweight fights one, once before. And I don't remember exactly when it was, but it, it turned out to be kind of awesome. I mean, not the whole card, but like the main card. Right. Well, uh, I think somebody mentioned this, I think to us on Twitter a couple of weeks ago that it made sense that they would load up heavyweights on the Croatia fight card. And this was a Croatian person saying this because they all thought of themselves as heavyweights. Uh, in Croatia, I think all, there there is something to it though that maybe if you're having a card in Eastern Europe and you want to sprinkle some Eastern uh, European talent on there, that's where you find a little bit more of an emerging heavyweight uh, talent pool. Do you not? I mean, the heavy, as we've said before, the decent heavyweights in America are mostly playing football these days. Uh, but you can probably find some more uh, heavyweights if you, if you start to look to Europe a little bit more. Yeah, that that that's possible. I maybe maybe having a uh, so many heavyweight fights on the main card is is the Eastern European equivalent of having an interim title on the line. 
You can just see a bunch of heavyweights on the poster and, and, and you're all good over there in Croatia. You're ready to tune in, you think? Yeah. I think in Croatia they're just more like, which dude has a bunch of hair on his traps and looks scary? That's that's how that's you do it. I'm, yeah. That's the guy I'm going to root for. In this case, Ben Rothwell, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> right. Uh, and, it you know, it is, when you do this kind of thing, it is a feast or famine type situation. Yeah, especially at heavyweight, yeah. You could wind up with a with a fight card where all of the uh all of the fights are are a, a minute and nine seconds long, or you could get a bunch that are three and five round just slogs. Where where by the end of it everybody's just grabbing their shorts and breathing at each other. Yeah, but I do think especially if you look at this one where you have the, the top two bouts are all, you know, fairly name heavyweights I think that the UFC has, with some other cards, started to do this a little bit more as an insurance policy, that if you lose somebody from one of those fights, it gives you some backups. Uh, you, you have somebody that can be plugged in there in case uh, things go totally awry and you don't want to have to scratch your main event entirely. You can just sub in a different heavyweight from lower down on the card. So I think that's a possibility too. Uh, although the... The math on it is a little fuzzy, claiming that this is a quarter of the UFC heavyweights, closer to a fifth of the UFC heavyweights. Is not. Come on. Wow. Look at Ben Folks with the with the fact check over here, the statistical fact check. But I'm surprised I, that's. I'm surprised that to get that from you. It, though it still is, like if you tell me that it's possible to have a fifth of UFC heavyweights on one card in Zagreb, Croatia, on a Sunday, that does. That says more about the heavyweight division than I think it does about anything else. All right. I'm going to give you a second to put your graphing calculator away. Okay. And then we'll move on to the next question. I'm ready. The last question this week it comes says from boobs. Evan Whitmore. He writes, uh, what do you do with a guy like Junior Dos Santos if he loses in Croatia on Sunday? He's already an inverted gatekeeper. Losing to him is one step on the way – or." Losing to him is one step on the way to a title shot, and his last two fights for a title almost put him in the Dada 5000 wing of the hospital. Do we ever want to see Dos Santos fight for a UFC title again? Uh, do, I, you know, for all of the knocks against him, Junior Dos Santos, I feel like, is still one of the maybe biggest names and and potentially one of the better fighters in the heavyweight division. I don't know if that is a sad commentary on the heavyweight division or, or speaks to the strengths of Junior Dos Santos. Uh, and Ben Rothwell, clearly a guy who is on an unlikely tear and finds himself with some momentum and, and as kind of a surprising fan favorite, I guess, at this point in the heavyweight division. Uh, so if Junior Dos Santos were to lose this fight, uh, you know, it, it would, it would put him in, in unenviable territory, I guess you could say with one and three in his last four fights and, and, you know, uh, some, some significant punishment. Yeah, in, in several of his recent losses. Well, see, that's what I wonder. If, if what are we talking about here? Are we talking about the losses, or are we talking about the significant punishment? Because I think they're kind of they're different conversations. Um, which, by the way, now that I'm looking at the card, the card I'm looking at shows five heavyweight fights. So then that would be a quarter. Right. Well, that that's what they that's what he well, said. Four heavyweight fights. Well, he said four. four heavyweight fights on the main card, and then one oh, on the okay. prelims. All right. Because um, you got to get Jared Cannon Cannonier versus Cyril Asker. That's right. On this you, one, you got to get that one. Now let me plug that into my graphing calculator. Up. Oh, oh, it came up. Cyril Asker, future UFC heavyweight champion. Yeah, and then also Boobless. You can do that one too. You got to turn it upside down. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I know how it works. <laughs> the but the thing about Junior Dos Santos is, I think it's easy like for people to think of him and think, oh, Junior Dos Santos done fallen off. Um, you take away that, that loss to Alistair Overeem, right? I mean, I'm sure he's going to say still stopped over, stopped early. Um, but whatever. Uh, Overeem gets that one. And then you got two losses to Cain Velasquez, right? But other than that, he won that decision over Stipe. Uh, maybe should have gone the other way, but it's still a close fight. Everybody's super hot on Stipe these days. So winning a decision over him still means something. He knocked out Mark Hunt, which, uh, not terribly easy to do. I like I just don't see how you can look at his resume and suddenly just because of that one loss to Overeem in December make the case man Junior Dos Santos needs to get out the game unless you're talking about like cumulative punishment even in fights he's won. Right, yeah, and he has taken a lot of damage. So the I think that the the concerns aren't completely uh out of the blue. Like we we know Junior Dos Santos has taken a lot of punishment and and uh is 
a guy that that maybe you worry about in that regard. Uh, still just turned 32 at the end of January, though, so he's not, you know, at least in in actual uh, linear time. Check this out on your graphing calculator. In actual years, he's only 30, where's the linear time button? Only 32 years old. Uh, but you know, in in fighter years, maybe he has taken enough damage, so he's older than that. Maybe this Ben Rothwell fight is uh, a good litmus test for us with where Junior Dos Santos is at right now. Because if you go out there and you storm through Ben Rothwell, well, then I think you could make the claim that you're still right there in the mix with the best fighters in the world. If if Ben Rothwell storms through you, then you know maybe we come out of this thinking Junior Dos Santos is, is uh, not among the elite anymore. I don't know. Yeah, well, and that's one of the things I wondered for this fight from Ben Rothwell's perspective. is because he seems to be in this uphill battle for respect uh at this point it seems more from the ufc than from ufc fans who are starting to come around a little bit more on ben rothwell and really like this his his dark lord gimmick where only politics can delay him and and no man can stop him all that stuff that's right up their alley a bunch of nerds that we all are but i i wonder if if Ben Rothwell beats Junior Dos Santos, if he does the storming here, are people just going to be like, well, you beat up a washed up Dos Santos is on his way down? Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's that danger for Ben Rothwell in, in this fight uh, and maybe is a dangerous fight for him in that way, just because Dos Santos is a guy who who has, in the eyes of the public, taken a couple of steps back. He'd still have five wins in a row at heavyweight which is like having 25 wins in a row and, and light, lightweight. Right? <laughs> yes. It's, you know. Well, plus, didn't he make a bunch of Irish fans when he went over there after his fight got pulled and he, he went to, to Dublin anyway, and now he has a bunch of fans in Ireland. Now he's going to go to Zagreb, uh, probably make a bunch of fans over there. Little by little, Ben Rothwell builds bases of support all across the globe until he becomes gradually the world's most popular fighter. He's a consensus builder. Yes. That's what you're saying about yeah. Ben Rothwell. He's a uniter. We just we are doing some some fuzzy math on the show this week. Anyway, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, a concern that you want to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you know how to get a hold of us. Go to the website comainevent.com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. From now on, that comes out once weekly on Friday mornings to catch you up on the news and notes that you miss from Tuesday to Friday when we're not recording the podcast. It's short. It's humorous. We think you'll like it. Uh, if you don't, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, when last we recorded the co-main event podcast, this John Jones racing in the streets story had just begun to percolate because he had gone on the MMA fortnight uh, and and mentioned, ca- just casually mentioned offhand that, that he had just gotten another moving violation, that he'd been out uh, so-called drag racing, I think is, is what he said on said, the show. Said some things to the cop that he might have regretted later, uh, and- by the way. And we uh, we theorized at the time that perhaps John Jones's uh, crisis management team had told him to get out in front of this one. Uh, and I don't know, man, it's possible that they knew the heat was going to come down because shortly after uh, we wrapped the podcast and and published it, a uh, an arrest warrant was issued for John Jones and he turned himself in to the Albuquerque police on Tuesday and then spent a couple of days cooling his heels in the sneezer. Uh, until he finally got to see a judge, I believe, on Thursday morning. Uh, so I'm, I don't know if we think that the situation has gotten more worrisome since the last time we recorded it or less less worrisome because, once again, the Albuquerque courts seem content to to sort of give John Jones a slap on the wrist and and an ominous warning, which he has now gotten from two different judges down there uh, in the ABQ. Uh, but we talked a little bit about it last week, but it, it, it kind of deserves to be revisited. I guess that, that John Jones says that he has turned over a new leaf and yet, uh, time and time again, it seems like his behavior just repeats itself. 
Yeah, but this one, I don't know. I, I feel like we have to resist the temptation to assume that this is evidence that he has not turned over a new leaf. Because if you, if you take him at his version of events, which is that he was not drag racing, that he revved his engine at a stoplight to acknowledge some fans, as if to say, that's right, this is me, John Jones, tooling around town in this sweet-ass Corvette. Uh, late at night, just out driving around, revving my engine. Recognize. Uh, and then the cop pulls him over, says... You were drag racing, but not speeding somehow. Uh, weaving, an exhibition, uh, exhibition driving, I believe it was, all, and um, altering the the exhaust on his car to make it louder, that kind of stuff. It seems like only one of those things is an actual matter of fact. The others seem like they're basically a judgment call on the cop's part. Uh, and wait, are you trying to tell me that if I call a police officer, a lying pig during the traffic stop, he might go back to his car and try to figure out all of the possible tickets he could write for me? (laughs) Because I feel like that's something that I knew in, in like fifth grade. I can tell you one thing that's not going to happen. You're not going to call him a lying pig and he's going to be like, you know what? You're right. I have meant the truth here. I'm going to tear up these tickets and send you on your way. John, I'm going to go ahead and let you off with a warning. You make valid arguments here. Uh, I think that if John Jones's point is that, hey, they basically saw me in my white Corvette and decided to kind of run up the scoreboard on me a little bit, and the only reason it became a real legal issue is because all the trouble he's gotten himself into in the past, I, I can kind of see that. I can see how there's a, a case to be made there. Because if Daniel Cormier gets pulled over and the cop's like, you were drag racing, for one thing, it's hard to imagine Daniel Cormier going off on the dude like that. But for another thing, it's not going to land him in jail. It's just going to be some traffic tickets, and then he's going to deal with it. Um, but it's because of the situation that John Jones has put himself in that that resulted in a couple of nights in the sneezer there. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't see this necessarily as proof that John Jones has learned nothing and continues to make the same mistakes. Um, although it is one of those things where you can only get in trouble behind the wheel of a car so many times before people stop giving you the benefit of the doubt. Right. And, you know, and, and to your point, I feel like this was another issue where the the general public response, at least the, the response that I saw, like it was one of those things where people tried to act like this was an either or situation, like either John Jones was committing uh, offenses behind the wheel, either he was drag racing or the cops in Albuquerque were quote unquote targeting him. Right. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an either-or situation. It could be an and situation. That's true. Right? Like, yeah. John Jones could be out acting the fool behind the wheel, and the cops in Albuquerque could could know full well uh, that if you see UFC light heavyweight champion Jonathan Dwight Jones out in the streets and you get the chance, uh, maybe write him five tickets <laughs> instead of one. Yeah. No, absolutely. Like you, you, could be, you could be out causing trouble, and the cops could want to mess with you for it. Uh, in fact, I would I would say that in the real world, that's probably the the situation more often than, than not, right. even if it's not the situation here. Right. Well, and the discussion we were having last week was about okay, John Jones went through this crisis with the hit and run thing and everything that resulted from it, and then he kind of tried to present himself as like, all right, I've learned from this; it's caused a complete upheaval in the way I live my life and carry myself. I'm I'm not stoned and drunk all the time when before I was, uh, and I was living this kind of phony existence. Now I'm legit and completely real and completely sober, and I'm back on the right track. And if you want to point to this instance as something that shows you, okay, maybe it's not a complete turnaround, it's not so much the offenses, I think, that make people think that, but his reaction to them when he decides to go off on the cop. Especially completely unnecessarily, as we were talking about before. Like when the cop asked him, did you have something you want to say? It would have been really easy to just say no. No, you do not have anything you want to say. And you become a lot more of a sympathetic character. Except when he goes off on this just pointless, profane tirade against the cop. um, That's, I think, when people are like, okay, still that guy. Still that guy who's just going to completely lose it when he feels like things aren't going his way. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you, although I would also say that with John Jones, this is sort of uh, the pattern of behaviors, the pattern of of incidents, I guess you would say. seems like it has always kind of been this way, like a lot of very small 
indiscretions again and again, like, oh, a speeding ticket, that's not that big of a deal. Oh, he, he crashed his Bentley into a into a telephone pole or whatever. Kind of a big deal, that slightly, one. Slightly bigger deal. Oh, oh, he tested positive for cocaine during his fight camp. Slightly bigger deal. Oh, he T-boned a pregnant lady and ran away from the scene only to return to, to grab a wad of cash and then run, run out again. Like, slightly bigger deal. Deal that gets you suspended and gets you stripped of your title. Now we're back to, you know, recording funny, glassy-eyed Instagram videos. Not a big deal. Uh, John with, with Daniel Cormier, not a big deal. Gets let off for driving 40 miles over the speed limit. Not a big deal. Uh, maybe drag racing gets five tickets, spends a couple of days in jail. Slightly bigger deal. You're well, saying what that happens next in totality <laughs> that perhaps they add up to a big deal. I'm saying, yeah, that perhaps they add up to like to, to paint the, uh, a picture very similar to the one that was painted before the crisis management team was hired. Yeah. But I, I also wonder if you're John Jones and you haven't gotten the message yet that like, all these big deals or all these not big deals are unacceptable. Uh, what does it for you? Because when, even after he spends a couple days in jail on this thing, basically just feeling like he's being messed with, then he goes into court and they're like, all right, seriously, this time don't come back here again. Cause it will not go well for you if you come back here. And it does feel like a little bit like the parent admonishing the child and saying, okay, this time I'm serious. This time I'm really going to turn the car around and go home. And man, you, we all know you ain't turning that car around. We're already more than halfway there. We're going to keep going. Yeah. And I think it would be really easy to not learn the lesson, right? Because so far you've been... They have a bunch of people around you helping you uh, not you, learn the lesson. You've been fairly free of consequences. Although if a lesson is to be learned, like we said in the, in the intro to the show, it, it, I believe Greg Jackson said on the Fortnite today that at this point now John Jones has a full-time driver that's who's going to sh uh, chaperone him around Albuquerque, take him to get his groceries and whatnot. Well, that person could end up with some fun stories to tell, don't yeah. you think? I, yes. I mean, who wouldn't want to want that job? A driving Miss Daisy reboot <laughs> for our modern era. Uh, do you want to do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round two. Sure. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me for this week? Well, I know we're going to get into talking a little bit more about uh, Ovent St. Prue. Uh, in rounds to come here, but uh, we checked in with Ovin St. Prue over at MMA Junkie. Um, my guy Stephen Morocco uh, wrote a little story about it, and let's just say not exactly brimming with confidence right now. Uh, for instance, here's one quote: "At times, I do feel better. I, I do feel I feel I do better on short notice. It's going to get a little hectic in the next two three weeks, but at least it wasn't like that for the last three or four months. So I don't have to do any adjustments." All the adjustments on Jones. You look at me, and I'm a pretty good fighter. I can hold my own with the best of them. Are you fucking kidding me? That's the attitude you have going into a fight with the world's best light heavyweight? Is that you're, you're a pretty good fighter. You can hold your own, and even if it's going to be kind of stressful to think about having to fight him and to prepare for having to fight him in the next two or three weeks, at least you didn't have to think about what awaited you for months. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Doesn't exactly sound like he thinks he's going to go in there and shock the world. Well, he also said they can both do beast shit, though, right? Wasn't that the same interview? I feel confident at least one of them could do beast shit. <laughs> ben, speaking of beast shit, how the hell is the Black Beast supposed to get ready for his fight with Gabe Gonzaga if he can't listen to his Pandora you know what I'm over saying? there in Croatia? I know you saw this because I was still chortling about it on Twitter when I saw you retweeted that Derek Lewis posted a screenshot of his phone telling him his Pandora isn't available in that part of the world. Are you fucking kidding me? So does, what do you, does that are you fucking kidding me go out to the nation of Croatia? It, yeah, because what do you do in Croatia? What do you put on the stereo when your in-laws come over for brunch? Do you just put a black key CD on and call it good? You don't have your Pandora? What do you do? You know what I'm saying? How is Derek Lewis supposed to get ready for his fight if he can't listen to the Matt and Kim playlist that he's probably been curating all fight camp for fight week? Got it just how he likes it. You got the right thumbs up, the right thumbs down. This dude's 90s hip-hop station isn't going to play itself. It's man. all for nothing. You fucking kidding me? All that work for nothing. Fucking kidding me? Anyway, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
Ben, it turns out that Daniel Cormier and John Jones are so competitive that DC's not just going to let John Jones dominate the news cycle this week with his little arrest and his jail time and his 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 more probation. No, man, he's going to butt into this thing. He's going to take this story over from John Jones with his own little piece of news, where over the weekend we learned that Daniel Cormier is actually now out of their scheduled meeting at UFC 197 uh, with what is being described, at least by Dave Meltzer on uh, MMAfighting.com, as a ruptured tendon in his lower leg, which I have to say, that does sound like it fucking sucks. Yeah. Sounds like he got it sparring, uh, got got a low leg kick checked, and then got hit in the spot again, and uh, went and got an MRI, and they told him, no good, you're going to have to sit out for a while, not one of those things that you could really push through very well, especially if you're going to go in there and fight John Jones. You probably want to be in closer to tip-top shape if you're Daniel Cormier at this situation, so can't really blame him too much there. No, uh, it doesn't sound like he's going to be out that long. He's not going to need surgery. He expects to be back uh, by late summer or early fall, uh, which I guess if we're looking for a bright side here, maybe we finally do actually get the John Jones, Daniel Cormier main event at Madison Square Garden that everybody's been going gaga about if you can push this thing back till fall uh, a little bit. Uh, but as we talked about during the introduction with the question about interim titles, this this seems like kind of a weird position for the UFC to put an interim title on the line. And one of the, I don't know if you want to say strangest things about it, but like one of the, uh, one of maybe one of the more heart rending things about it is that a lot of people didn't want to consider Daniel Cormier the champion before. And now it, it just seems like not even the UFC is keeping up that, that front. They're just sort of like, Oh, he's out. Well, I guess we'll just, We'll put a we'll put a belt on the line in this other fight that that John Jones is in. Yeah, and that is the weird part about this, and I wrote about that uh, a little bit this weekend. How you know John Jones still was regarded by many people as being the the still one true champion in the division, even if he didn't have the belt. And now, when you put him in this fight with OSP, it doesn't feel like he's necessarily proving anything that was not already proven. If he beats OSP, it's still you know. If you thought of him as the champion without the belt, you're still going to think of him that way. If you didn't, you're probably not, um, just because the UFC throws that hardware in there. Uh, but for me, I mean, it, it kind of serves as a reminder that if you want to call one of those two titles an, an interim, it's easier to make an argument that the, the title Daniel Cormier is walking around with is not the real one. You know, he didn't take it off of John Jones. John Jones never lost it in the cage. Um, so while you can't fault Daniel Cormier for anything he's done in this situation, uh, I think you still can make a strong argument that there will be a light heavyweight champion in the cage uh, at UFC 197. The interesting thing to me was when uh, Dana White on SportsCenter announcing that Ovin St. Preux would be the one to step in there, uh, and his his reasoning for it went down the list, and it was it seemed very honest like why he was getting that fight. And basically it was just that you go down the list until somebody's available and can say yes. Uh, and so I think that kind of admits what this fight is, that it's, you know, John Jones is coming back. He's got to fight somebody. So we're going to go ask around until we can find that somebody, you know, that in itself does not sound like the pitch for a title fight right there. No, especially not coupled with those Ovin St. Prue quotes, right? <laughs> no. Where basically Dana White is saying uh, they basically took a best player available type uh, approach to booking this fight. And then you got Ovin St. Prue saying at least he doesn't have to worry about it. for At least it'll be over quickly, I guess I'm paraphrasing. Uh, but that, that's sort of what he was saying, what Ovin St. Prue was saying. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about Daniel Cormier, though. Did you see this today where apparently, I don't know if he's just trying to needle John Jones a little bit more, but he offered to have Ovin St. Prue come to AKA to basically take Cormier's spot in his own training camp, said that he would pay his way uh, and, and you know, coach him and and the AKA coaches would coach him and, and uh, basically he could spar with Daniel Cormier's sparring partners, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what is up with that? Yeah, that is a little strange. And the weirdest thing about it, if you're over in St. Prue, and I'm just going to assume that you are going into this fight thinking that you're going to win uh, and you become the interim light heavyweight champion – well, then the next step would be for you to fight Daniel Cormier, That's right? That's right. So 
pretty weird that this guy is like, hey, man, come over to my house and train, and uh, <laughs> I'll just watch you for a few weeks, and we'll see how this Jones thing goes, huh? Well, the other thing that you might be thinking if you're Owen St. Prue is, so you're saying that I can go train at the camp where you just got hurt and where the former heavyweight champion was also often hurt and where when people crunched the numbers, they came away saying that it was one of the, the most injured fight camps out there, the one that uh, withdrew from fights most often, the one that's been criticized by the UFC president for how often dudes get injured there. And you're saying, I should come on in there in the couple weeks before the biggest fight of my life? Maybe rethink that offer if I was OSB. I would go ahead and, and add on top of all that that it's the fight camp that didn't beat John Jones the first time Ooh, around. Okay. So, like, if you're Ovin St. Prue, maybe you you just... You stick with the guys who brought you to the dance. Yeah, and bigger. Who are there's Peyton Manning and that's right. Uh, there's Peyton. Yeah, uh, Archie Manning. It's pretty much the Manning passing camp, right? Is Ovin St. Prue's fight camp? This is the only thing I know about the Tennessee Volunteers. Football. Yeah. Well, I think maybe also if you're thinking you only got a couple weeks, I don't know if it's going to be great for you to go in there and get beat up by Cain Velasquez and then roll into this fight with John Jones. You might as well just stay home. Do whatever you think has been working for you and then take your chances when you get in there. I, you know, I've seen it floated, uh, or even before this injury, mostly after the, uh, what was it the go, go big press conference? Is that the one they just had? Or what was the, what's the new tagline, UFC tagline where, where John Jones came out with the belt and people were booing Daniel Cormier? seemed like either it kind of seemed like Cormier was playing into it with the way that that he reacted uh and I saw it floated on Twitter and maybe in a couple of emails to the podcast like does Daniel Cormier who at this point is 37 years old know that that this is his last ride and that you know best case scenario for him he beats John Jones in this fight and then we have a third fight between John Jones and Daniel Cormier like does DC sort of know that the window is closing and he's going to milk this particular feud, which is a hell of a feud, by the way. Uh, if they ended up going to a trilogy, I think you could argue, you know, the, one of the greatest of all time in, in UFC history. But like, is he just, is he going to get everything he can out of this? I think that you could make an argument that there is some aspect of Daniel Cormier that's a smart enough businessman and, and a pragmatic enough person that he can look at the math on it all and say, yeah, this ride is not going to last too much longer, no matter how it goes. But I also think that uh, the super relentless competitive side of Daniel Cormier is probably eaten up by the thought of never getting one back against John Jones. Uh, I think that that one probably bothers him more. He probably thinks more about that one than he does about the actual how can I milk the most money out of this rivalry here with John Jones. And I think also that they just personality wise, it seems like whenever they get together, they can't stop each other from going after each other. I mean, when you see them going at it, when neither one of them think that a camera is on, that's when I think you have to rethink the, like how much each guy is playing up the rivalry. Uh, because if you don't think anybody's watching, it doesn't do any good to play up the rivalry. No, I think one of the cool things about their rivalry is that they seem to really seriously hate each other and not like they're just out here doing it for buy rates. In case you were wondering what John Jones's reaction was to Daniel Cormier offering to have Ovin St. Prue come to AKA, uh, at Johnny Bones tweeted, willing to train OSP and willing to pay for his expenses? Question mark. You are a sheep in wolves clothing and I see right through you, period. New sentence. Pussy. <laughs> I, I thank you for clarifying that there was a period and a new sentence well, and that sentence in its entirety read pussy not capitalized okay i'm just gonna say we did we went down style on the p there in all pussy all right thank you for really setting the scene there for us i appreciate that uh i assume that's deleted by now right well yeah the, i had to find a screenshot of it i i didn't even look on the john jones twitter feed because why would you yeah it's just not find pictures be, of lions and it's stuff. not gonna be there uh, I guess for Daniel Cormier, even though this is, this is a short term injury, we were just talking about him maybe having some inkling in the back of his mind that the window is closing, that he doesn't have that much time left. Kind of a bummer to suffer a, a setback like this if you're that guy, even if it's just going to be by a few months. Yeah. Uh, although, I don't know, maybe you get booked for a bigger total fight card down the line. And I'm sure that if you're looking at your options, 
fighting healthy seems better than fighting hurt in a situation where you're probably not going to get another shot if you lose here. So I understand. But the problem that we've seen happen to guys before is if you pull out of one a little bit hurt, you can't pull out of the next one. Uh, and I, th- I think we've seen that before mess with guys' heads a little bit where you, when you know, all right, everybody's got to show up to this one, you can't do this again, uh, then who knows, you might end up being leveraged into doing something that you, you don't necessarily want to do the second time around. Speaking of that, speaking of pulling out of the fight the first time and not being able to pull out of the next one, John Jones, still on this fight card, UFC 197, against Ovin St. Preux. We're going to talk about that in round three, and that starts right now. Ben, did you wonder how large the cancellation of UFC 151 loomed over the decision-making process of John Jones to to stick it out in UFC 197, even though Daniel Cormier is out with an injury? Yeah, it's hard not to think about that and also about everything going on with John Jones. It seems like all that stuff had to play a major factor, and he more or less admitted that some of that uh, went into his thinking here that he felt like kind of he owed his fans and also like maybe he is not in the best position right now to tell the UFC, Ovin Saint, what? No, I'm not fighting that guy. Find me somebody better or else don't call back. Uh, even if you wanted to do that in this situation, you kind of can't just because of everything you've done before. Yeah, not to get too big picture, kind of philosophical on it, but anytime we see a, a fight like John Jones, Ovin St. Preux put together at the last minute for uh, the main event of a pay-per-view. I, it always strikes me what a different beast we're dealing with in mixed martial arts, just at a very fundamental level in the sporting culture that we've come to expect that this is the kind of thing that happens, you know, and I guess you have to take these last minute replacement fights on kind of a case by case basis, because sometimes you get, uh, Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz, and it's awesome. In this case, though, this seems like it sh- it was going to be a very important fight for John Jones, coming back after this suspension, after being stripped of his title, uh, and getting a chance to reclaim the title against his arch nemesis and Daniel Cormier. It goes from that to feeling like a very random fight against Ovin St. Preux, who, like we said earlier in the show, uh, it was just the able-bodied man who would take the fight. And I think maybe speaks to the incredibly shallow nature of the light heavyweight division right now that he would find himself in this bout. But positioning-wise, it's still a super important fight for John Jones. Like, you absolutely 100% cannot lose to Ovin St. Preux in your return fight, right? Right. Uh, and then, I, I don't think we have a tremendous danger of seeing that happen. But at the same time, like, the fact that this, that the expectation from the company and from maybe from fans uh, and maybe from John Jones himself would be that the show must go on just kind of reinforces to me that we're dealing with a different sporting culture here. And it's just sort of uh, it's more about the brand and the company than it is about the, the fight a lot of the times. Or I mean, another way to put it is it's more about the show than about the sports competition aspect of it. Like you said, the the show must go on thinking pervades mixed martial arts and the theater and not so much like baseball or something, you know, other uh, more traditional sports because it's just a completely different world. We kind of think, all right, you put these guys on this card, you sell the tickets, people book their flights and and everybody gets excited about it. You still got to have yourself a fight that night. And ideally, you got to have yourself a fight featuring one of the people who everybody's coming to see. You can't just decide, like, all right, you know, that one's off. Uh, Let the understudies fight it out. Instead, um, people are going to be upset about that, and you need these people to keep buying tickets and pay-per-views and all that other stuff. So you want to keep everything as close to intact as you can. So I understand why they go down the list looking for somebody. And maybe the way to sell it is to talk about it as a warm-up fight, a 
getting back into swing of things fight because you can't go out there and do the usual thing where that the UFC loves to do where it's the two best guys in the world and anything can happen and it, it's going to be this epic clash because it's probably not. John Jones is like an 8 to 1 favorite in this one for good reason. Uh and you know even Owen St. Prue isn't talking like he's going to go in there and smash the guy. So I think if you if you were to pitch it, and maybe you can't do this when you have the interim title on the line, but if you were to pitch it as John Jones is going to ease back into this thing before he takes on his great nemesis Daniel Cormier, maybe then it's a little more palatable. Yeah, I was just going to say it's hard to to promote something as a guy just dipping his toe back in the water if when the interim title is on the line. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about Ovin St. Preux. You just mentioned the odds. Uh, John Jones opened uh, at minus 675, and then when last I saw it, like you said, he was down to an 8-to-1 yeah, favorite. A lot of so, people saw that as free money, apparently. Yeah, so people were like, I can get negative 675 odds on John Jones? <laughs> Throwing down some money on that. Uh, but, you know, Ovin St. Preux is going to face kind of an unknown version of John Jones, right? He's coming back after this suspension, his... his Life has been beset with problems since the uh, ever since he tested positive for cocaine, really, after the uh, Cormier fight. And then he had the drama with the hit and run. And now he's had this latest drama where he was in in jail for a couple of days. Uh, He's he's he looks great getting off the bus and the training footage is eye opening. Uh, But we're going to get kind of a different John Jones in the cage, a, a bulkier John Jones. And a guy, maybe we don't know if he's going to look incredible and better than ever or if he's going to have a little ring rust. Is there any reason or any even inkling of a shred that Ovin St. Preux shocks the world? You know, you don't want to say that anything is impossible, especially in the world of professional cage fighting. But this feels pretty close, right? Because what? how does he beat John Jones? You know, he's not – it's not like – he has the kind of technical stand-up where he's going to stand there and outpoint him over five rounds. You're not going to do that to John Jones. Uh, he's certainly not going to just take him down and submit him. You know, we learned that just from watching him uh, against uh, Glover Teixeira. It's we're back to the puncher's chance, and there's not even that great of a puncher's chance here because Owen St. Preux, It's not like you know he ha- he can hit hard. He's sat people down with his punches before. But it's not like he's Mark Hunt. At least Mark, if you had looked John Jones against Mark Hunt, who said that he offered to take the fight, at least then you'd have, hey, he can touch you on the chin once and it slides out. But John Jones has a pretty good chin, and OSP doesn't have that great a knockout power. So you're looking at a puncher's chance, and even that puncher's chance, which already means almost no chance, is not a great chance. Are you going to make me do this? Go ahead. Am I going to have to try to lay out a a scenario via where... Oven St. Prue walks away with the interim title here. A light falls off the truss overhead. <laughs> Pretty close. I mean, if you're going to make the case for Oven St. Prue, which again, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> entertainment purposes <laughs> this is only. Good. This is going to be good. Okay. Well, you got, like I said, an unknown version of John Jones coming into this fight. It's been a long time since he was in the cage. I think if you're Oven St. Prue, maybe your best and potentially only chance is to try to get him into a long fight and hope that he is not in as good a shape as maybe he would be otherwise, that he maybe he has been distracted, maybe he is, is suffering from an emotional letdown after all of this stuff. Uh, maybe he gets a little, maybe he Conor McGregor's it. Maybe he gets a little bit more tired than, uh, than he was anticipating getting in this fight. And maybe you do end up hurting him late in the fight with your punching power. I guess, you know, Oban St. Preux, if I can, if you can say one thing for Oban St. Preux, it's that he's going to be close to, to the same size as John Jones, which is not, you know, it doesn't happen that often for John Jones in the light heavyweight division. You're going to, you know, Oban St. Preux is about six foot three. He's, he's going to be, he's going to give up a few inches in reach, but it's not going to be the tremendous reach advantage that John Jones normally has. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm grasping at straws over here. Because even as this stuff is coming out of my mouth where I'm saying maybe you hope John Jones gets tired, I'm also thinking Ovin St. Preux was also not in his fight camp. So yeah, no, yours, man. Your best hope, and I think you touched on it there, whether you meant to or not, is that John Jones, after all this stuff, after sitting in jail a couple nights, and then here's Daniel Cormier is out, decides, ah, screw it, man. Uh, Let's go have a drink. And spends the next couple weeks 
just completely screwing himself out of all the good training that he's done. Your best hope is that he just has a complete collapse with nothing, with you having nothing to do with it. And then all you have to do is get to the fight, hang around long enough, which is already tough enough against John Jones, not get beaten up, and then hope that he'll just kind of implode, which everybody said he didn't really even train that hard for Alexander Gustafson, and he still found a way to beat him. And uh, Owen St. Prue is no Alexander Gustafson from what we've seen. So even that is not a great chance. There's also video evidence of John Jones beating up poor tiny Brandon Gibson the night that they let him out of jail. Uh, and the, the you know a lot you hear from the people around John Jones that maybe he that this all of this negative attention that he gets fuels him in his fight camps, uh, which could be you know part of the problem maybe with with uh, personality wise. But uh, if that's true, he certainly got a lot of fuel these last couple of weeks. And if you're over in St. Prue, it probably makes for kind of a dangerous cocktail to go out there and try to fight that dude. Yeah, well, especially, and I would think that this is one of the more interesting aspects of the bout is that if we get the sense that, hey, John Jones is going to go in here and completely wreck this guy, uh, especially after a lot of decisions and you know impressive performances, but decisions uh, in a lot of his title defenses, if he's going to go out there and just try to demolish this dude and run right through him and then be all fired up and jump on the mic so he can yell at Daniel Cormier, that's going to be worth watching. Uh, and also kind of scary if you're over there in OSP's corner. Yeah, maybe if you're over in St. Prue, your best chance is that John Jones does something foolish, gets gets over-aggressive, falls down Tank Abbott style from the ultimate ultimate against Don Fry. Slips on a banana peel. Yeah, and then you can – he just maybe he slips, falls directly into your choke. Right? Like your waiting arms? Even then. Even then, probably Even then. it's a no-go. All right. Well, let's do just saying stuff now that we've issued a, a decree for the demise of Oven St. Pru, and then we will uh, get out of here for this week. Uh, ben, what's your just saying stuff for this week? Well, Chad, I'm just saying the people asked for it, and they're going to get it. What's going to happen right now is I am going to read you the oh, we're names. we're doing this again? I am going to read you the names of four fights that are scheduled to take place from Zagreb, Croatia. No Zagreb. cheating. Zagreb. Just making sure this looking at your computer screen, making sure you're not cheating. No, I can I point out that I think feel like the, uh, this is a good I'm a stand-up dude for not cheating on this. Yeah, way to go. I'm just going to give it a my a good swing. 3 of these are real. Are fight these, pairings. These are fight pairings. That's right. So I'm going to read you both me, guys' names. You're going to give me eight names? I'm going to give you eight names, and I'm going to tell you who's the what the pairings are. Three of them are real. One of them completely, at least to my mind, made up. Um, There's a chance you could just luck into a UFC fighter's name. Oh, yeah, especially on a card like this. Uh, here we go. You ready? I was born ready. Let's do this. Bojan Belichikovic. Not real. Versus Alessio DeChirico. Not real. Francis Naganu against Curtis Blades. Oh, Curtis Blades. Damian Manachuk versus Oscar De La Rocha. Philippe Pajic versus Damian Stasiak. Which one, Chad, Man, is you, not a real fight? You might as well have just said the same name eight times, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm going to go with the fake one was Damian Blades, the fight with Damian Blades, because he sounds like he just won the well, Intercontinental title. You screwed it up. You mean Francis Ngannou versus Curtis Blades. Whatever. No, Damian Manichuk versus Oscar De La Rocha is one I just made up. Okay, so I was halfway there, right? Didn't I say Damian you Blades? Were, okay, I'll give you this. You were so confused that you were almost right. So what are you just saying this week? You're just saying I don't know any of the fighters on the fight card? I'm just saying this is starting to be a really fun game that we play on the Conan Main Event podcast. For me, anyway. Well, Ben, this week I'm just saying, did your employers over at MMA Junkie really write a headline this week that says, and I quote, Valdir Arayo pounds out Dakota Cochran in a night of finishes? Mm -hmm. Because okay. I see you. I see what you're doing, and y'all need to stop playing. I don't know what you're talking about. Thinking you're just going to fold that in there amid John Jones headlines, and we're all just going to scroll right past it. I see what you do, MMA junkie staff byline, so we don't know who wrote it, thinking you're getting away with something. I see you over there. I'm just saying. 
Just saying. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back uh, next week to tell you all the things that happened in Zagreb. We'll tell you if Damian Blades got a win this past weekend. Uh, and then we'll look ahead to uh, the month of April in the UFC. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Curtis Blades? Curtis Blades. That's a real dude? So they would have us believe. Does he have his own Wikipedia page? Come on. Of course Curtis Blades would have a Wikipedia page. Like a comic book character. He's doing Curtis Blades as Eastern European? Because he sounds more American.